Thank you, Valerie. Turn with me to John 11. John chapter 11. And I want to share with you something today that's been on my heart for quite a while. Something that I've been kind of working through in my own understanding of God and the way that God operates in our life. I want to call this today when God is silent. When God is silent. How many of you have ever experienced the silence of God? You wanted him to talk, but God was silent. Amen? Well, John 11, uh, verse 1, let's stand. We're going to read six verses quickly. And let's look at one of my favorite New Testament stories, the story of Lazarus. We're jumping into the very beginning of the story. Now, a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair. Remember her? And the uh, disciples and some of the Pharisees rebuked her for it. And Jesus said, let her alone. She knows what she's doing. She's anointing me for burial. Keep that in mind because now Mary is going to live out some of what she already knew. Now, it says her brother was Lazarus. And he was sick. Verse 3, therefore the sisters sent to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. And when Jesus heard that, he said, now keep in mind when I read this, they didn't hear him say this. He said it, but not in their presence. This statement of Christ was not revealed to them. All they got was silence. He said this in the presence of his own disciples. He said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. The Son of God glorified through a sickness. Now, verse 5 says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. Look at your neighbor and tell him he loved them. It's important to know here. Verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed there two more days in the place where he was. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts. And I thank you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now, I want you to notice some things leading up to this story. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, grew sick. We find through Scripture that the three of these siblings were very, very close to Jesus Christ. As we already read, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. And I believe John told us that for a reason. John also tells us that they had been uh, once to open their home to him. And Jesus had come and and, uh, been in their homes, and we all know the story. And remember the story of Mary and Martha, Mary sitting at his feet, and Martha clanging the pans in the kitchen and busy and getting mad at Mary and so on and so forth. And Jesus telling Mary she had chosen the good part by sitting at his feet. These same gals right here. 
Now one day, their brother became sick. So sick that they sent a messenger to Jesus. This was 911. This was a New Testament ambulance situation. Since they didn't have an ambulance, they sent messengers to the greatest hope and answer they knew, Jesus Christ. And they told him, he whom you love is sick. He whom you love. Now, because of the closeness and the affection between the three siblings and Jesus, they justifiably expected Jesus to drop everything and come running to Lazarus. That's what we would have done. We were told he loved all three. Then we're told specifically, he whom you love. And because of the love, our response would have been, drop everything. Nothing's more important than my friend. I'm going to go, and I, because I have the power to heal him, I'm going to heal him. But strangely, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed right where he was. He didn't respond to the pressure of people. He was sovereign. He had his own mind, his own sense of things. And it looked like a contradiction to somebody who actually loved him. How can you love him and stand here? Stay right where you are while he gets sick. In the meantime, Lazarus was only getting worse. We know from the Bible account, the two sisters were left staring in vain at the empty road. Jesus never came down until it was too late, seemingly. Now, what they had met with, I want you to think about this, what they had met with was the inexplicable, mysterious silence of God. We got a 911 here, Lord. My brother, who you love, he's dying. This is a fever. Something has gotten hold of his body. It's a raging fever. It's a problem. And he's going down. He's not getting better. But not only did Jesus not come, he didn't send a word. He didn't say anything. He, they were faced with the silence of God. Now, I believe that we talk a lot about God talking in church circles. God told me this. The Lord told me that. I know some people, the Lord's always telling them something. I walk away wondering how come he didn't talk to me that much. Lord told me this. Lord told me that. Lord told me to go here. Lord told me to go there. And I'm not saying God doesn't talk. But we've got a real good grip on the fact that God does talk in full gospel, charismatic type churches. But I think we don't understand the silence of God. I want you to listen now. They were met with the silence of God. Staring down that road, he never came. Their brother, the fever rages. He declines. He goes unconscious. And then he dies. Two days, Jesus sat there. Four days, Lazarus was in the tomb before Jesus came on the scene. Are you experiencing the silence of God today? As I've looked at this concept, this, this way of God, I found all kinds of times in the Bible where the Bible talks about the silence of God. David knew what it felt like, and he wrote about it a lot. Let me give you an example. He wrote, My God, why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent, but you are 
Why am I going through this, Lord, and you're not hearing me? Because that's what the silence of God will lead you to believe sometimes. God's not hearing you, but he is. Job, in the furnace of his suffering, experienced the silence of God. He said, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. In the 42 chapters of the book of Job, in all of his suffering, God is totally silent in 37 of those 42 chapters. In the Psalms of Asaph, which are in the 150 Psalms, the Psalms of Asaph are Psalms uh, 73 through 83, you'll read Asaph grappling with the silence of God. And he says, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has his mercy ceased? Has his promise failed? I'm suffering and God is not coming through. God is not answering me. In one of the Psalms of the sons of Korah, the same question is asked. He says, I've cried out to you, Lord. Why do you hide your face from me? The following words were found scrawled on a cellar wall some Jews had hidden behind in World War II Germany. Quote, I believe in the sun even when it isn't shining. I believe in love even when I'm alone. And I believe in God even when he is silent. When God is silent, and sometimes he will be, when God is silent, complaining does no good. Nor should we spiral into unbelief. I want to submit to you today that when God is silent, we should question the silence. We should, we should question the silence. Because often God is talking, and we just don't hear him, and we don't hear him for a number of reasons. Now, I think I'm speaking to some of you today who have been praying, and God's been silent. You've been going through a valley, but God is silent. You wonder why he's not talking to you. There is a silence from heaven. I want to tell you, there's many reasons for silence in our relationship with God. Let me just go through a few of them. One of the reasons for God's silence is sin. And i got to deal with the first one because this is a big one. Nothing will deafen you to the voice of God or stop the voice of God from coming to us like sin. Unconfessed sin or lifestyles of persistent sin plug up our ears so that even when God is talking, we can't hear him. God is, in his graciousness, convicts us of sin, doesn't he? When we sin, that conviction of the Holy Ghost comes to us, begins to gnaw at us. God won't leave us alone, won't let us sleep. No matter where we go or what we do, the conviction of God follows us because Jesus said, when the Spirit of God comes, he will convict you of sin. He'll convict you. And when we turn to him after that convic conviction and we repent, then, then God graciously unstops our ears and the voice of God begins to come to us again. I'm going to tell you something, folks. There is not a sin in this world worth stopping the voice of God. Because that's the first thing that's going to happen when we sin. God grows silent. And the only thing he's got to talk to us about is that sin. If he does speak, it'll be about that sin. That sin is standing between you and God. And if you've got sin in your life today and it needs to be confessed, I'm telling you there's not any person worth it, not anything worth it, not any habit worth it. There is nothing wor worth losing the sweet voice of God in the cool of the garden 
when he comes to you and says, I am yours and you are mine. My banner over you is love. This is the way, walk ye in it. This is my word of counsel to you. There is nothing worth stopping up the flow of his peace and his voice. He unstops our ears of faith. And we discover he's been talking all along, but we just couldn't hear him because of our sin. Now, another way that you and I miss God speaking to us is that sometimes we just drown him out. We just drown him out. And it's so easy to do in our day. I can't imagine what it would have been like to live, oh, a couple of centuries ago when we didn't have radio, television, phones, cell phones, Walkmans, Talkmans, Blackbirds, whatever the things are, iPods, Blackberries. I don't have one. All the voices coming at us all the time, competing with the voice of God. We get involved in our careers, paying the bills, grabbing the latest movie, and Paris Hilton, Anna Nicole, OJ, and whatever the latest media obsession is. And God's voice simply gets lost in the shuffle, lost in the crowd. This is so real. The problem is that God does not speak in a loud voice. We're told that he speaks in a still, small voice. Elijah saw the fire go by, the earthquake go by, the howling wind go by. But it says God was not in any of those noise makers. And then finally God spoke to Elijah in the still, small voice. And he wrapped his face in the mantle and walked out of the cave because he knew this is the voice of God. It's not the loud, rackety sounds that are in the world. It's the still, small voice that speaks in the quiet of your heart when you've sought him early in the morning or late in the evening. You've gone into the prayer closet. You shut the door. You've said the phone is off. The television is off. The radio is off. I close people magazine i'm here to hear from god and in the still small voice he whispers to your soul and it's worth a million dollars i would take one word from god can lift you for a year a man once lost a valuable watch in an ice house All of his fellow workers diligently searched that ice house looking for the watch. They combed every inch of it, moved everything they could, searched every nook and cranny, and they could not find it. A little boy, hearing about their search, slipped into the ice house during his lunch hour and quickly emerged with the watch. All of the men were amazed and said, how'd you find it? We looked everywhere. We couldn't find it. And he said, I simply went into the ice house, closed the door, laid down quietly on the floor, and I began to listen. After a while, I heard it tick, tick, tick in the quiet, just that still, small tick, tick, tick of the watch. And that's how I found it. And that's why I'm always exhorting you as our church body to have a daily quiet time in the Word of God to shut out all the noise, close the prayer closet door, take the phone off the hook, turn off that babble box called television, don't even watch it, shut yourself in with God, put your ear to the Word of God, and listen for the tick, tick, tick of the voice of God. Because He will speak to you 
He'll speak to your heart. He'll talk to your spirit. He'll clear the fog. He'll tell you what you've been wondering about. Wait for that still, small voice. He wants to converse with you, and sometimes God is silent because we have just drowned him out. Now, there's another reason that I sometimes believe we miss God's voice when he's talking to us, and that's because our ears are not tuned to his frequency. We're not tuned to the frequency of the Word of God. We're tuned to the television. We're tuned to the radio. We're tuned to the mass media of our day. But we're not tuned in to His frequency. It is not that He's not speaking to us. He is. It's that we have forgotten what His voice sounds like. I'm telling you, this is real. You can get so caught up in the hustle and bustle of life and you can stay away from listening to God for so long that you no longer recognize the voice of God when he speaks to you. You've got to tune in to his frequency. Back in the late 19th century, true story, at Dartmouth College, a young American Indian boy shared a room with an Anglo student. Over Christmas vacation, the Anglo invited the Indian to come home with him to his home in New York City. The Indian had never been to the big city before. One day they were walking down Fifth Avenue and the Indian boy was amazed at all the hustle and bustle of the crowds and carriages and the horses and all the big city sounds. He should be around today. But all of a sudden the Indian stopped and said, listen, do you hear it? A cricket. His roommate said, are you crazy? I don't hear any cricket. The Indian ran across the street, ran up a flight of stairs, went and stood right in front of a flower box on somebody's patio, and sure enough, there was the cricket. He was tuned to the sound of that cricket because that's what he learned growing up. And while his friend couldn't pick that sound out from among all the sounds of the city, he knew it. Church, let me tell you something. As God's people... We ought to be tuned in to one voice more than any other. We ought to be tuned in to the voice of God, the voice of the Lord. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the, the lilies. And the voice I hear speaking in my ear, the voice of the Lord. We as God's people need to be tuned into that voice. And how do you get tuned into that voice? You spend time in this word. This word is like, is like a flint stone with a knife. You take a, a dull knife and you rub it back and, cross, back and forth across flint, and that knife will get so sharp you could cut paper with it. As you read this Bible, you become acquainted with the voice of God. You tune in to the frequency of God. You learn what he would say, what he wouldn't say, how he spoke, how he didn't speak. You become acquainted with the voice of the beloved. So in the midst of the sounds and clashings of the city, of all the mass media, we can hear the cricket. We can hear the, I want to hear the voice of God. I want to know that when he's talking to me, I am able to hear him. I want to know when he's speaking to me, I'm able to pick it out from among other voices, tune into it, and obey the voice of the Lord. We need to daily be in the Word of God, church. Listen to what Jesus said one day. He said, your ears are open, but you don't hear a thing. He said, your eyes are awake, but you don't see a thing. You stick your fingers in your ears so you won't have to listen, so you won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal you. Strong words. 
The book of Hebrews says about the voice of God, concerning this, we have much to say which is hard to explain since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing. Dull in your spiritual hearing. You're not hearing the voice of the Lord. You're not tuned into his frequency. And therefore, you become slothful in achieving spiritual insight. Hebrews 5.11. You become slothful in achieving spiritual insight. How do we uh, receive and achieve spiritual insight? By listening to the voice of the Lord. When I open up this book, it's not just any book. There is no book like this book in the entire world. This is the God-breathed Word. All 66 books were breathed from the nostrils of Almighty God. They are theonoustos, God-breathed, breathed out of God. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And when you hear the Word of the Lord, David said, the entrance of your Word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Even the, the simple are made wise by the Word of God. You can have an IQ of 70 and fill yourself with the wisdom of this book and far exceed somebody with a superior IQ. It's not how smart you are, it's how wise you are in the Word of God. I don't want to be dull in achieving spiritual insight, so I listen to the voice of the Lord. I tune in. I tune in. Now, though there are times when God does seem silent, and the reason he's silent is because we have closed up our ears, ignored him, or out of tune with him. But there's also times in life when as believers we experience an unexplainable silence from God. And it's not because we have plugged up our ears or have sin in our life. God is just silent. He's just silent. I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Every sin you know to confess You confess it, and he's still silent. You've done everything you know to do, and yet God is silent. And that silence begins to kind of get to you. Where are you, Father? How come you're not speaking to me? I'm speaking to you. Where are you? Hello, knock, knock, knock. Is anybody there? And I began to wonder about this, and I found several reasons in the Bible why God is silent when we haven't done anything wrong. God's silence is a reminder. I want you to catch this. That he is sovereign. Can you say with me, God is sovereign. sovereign. He's sovereign, and guess what? You're not. That might be a newsflash to some of you, but you're not sovereign. God is the only one in the universe who can say, I am sovereign. I have every right to be sovereign. I've got the power to be sovereign. I'm sovereign. You're not. Now, I'm going to say something today some of you aren't going to like. But here goes. God is not obligated to answer us, inform us, or let us know anything. Hey, man, Pastor Jeff, I'm going to get that CD. Hallelujah. I knew I'd get an overwhelming response to that one. I got to tell you, these people who go around commanding God to do things make me nervous. Now, I believe you can hold God to a promise, but when people lift their hands to God and say, I command you to this and that, and the people who also will speak to angels, I command an angel to this and that, you've gotten your wires crossed. Nowhere in the Bible are we told to command an angel, and we certainly can't command God. God is not obligated to answer us. He's obligated to his word, but he's not obligated to answer everything we ask him. A.W. Tozer wrote, 
God is absolutely free because no one and no thing can hinder him or compel him or stop him. He is able to do as he pleases always, everywhere, forever. He is God. Can you say with me, he is God. He's the potter and we are the clay. Let's get it straight here today. He's God. He flung the stars into space. He made the universe and the galaxy and all the galaxies beyond our galaxy were made, fashioned by God. He's sovereign. Job faced the choice of acknowledging or rejecting the sovereignty of God that I'm talking to you about right now. Sovereign means I'm sovereign over my kingdom. I'm sovereign over my world. I'm sovereign over my universe. We call a king on this earth a sovereign because he's sovereign over his kingdom. God is sovereign over the entire world. He's sovereign over the entire universe. In response to his suffering and loss, Job's wife suggested that he curse God and die. Instead of following her advice, Job spoke these words. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity, he asked? According to God's sovereignty, he moves. Paul said he moves after the counsel of his own will. We are at the beck and call of a sovereign God. He's God, and that means God. And accepting God's sovereignty is one of the ways that we trust him. I can't tell you how this has saved my sanity sometimes. When it looks like everything has gone crazy, baby. It looks like the devil is winning. It looks like the enemy is walking away with everything dear to you. If you don't believe in the sovereignty of God and you think it's all up to you and your confession and whether or not you say it right and believe it right, I can tell you that based on the scriptures, sometimes people had a fairly decent faith, not good faith at all, and God still moved on their behalf. When it looks like the enemy is winning and he's checkmated God and all hell has broken loose, you've got to get to a place where you can look up and say, I believe that no matter what I see, you are sovereign over your universe. You are sovereign over these circumstances. You are sovereign over people. They don't move. They don't breathe. They don't live without your permission. I believe you will perfect that which concerns me. I believe that you who have begun a good work in me will complete it to the day of Jesus Christ. No devil in hell and no flesh on earth is going to stop it. Because he's sovereign. You don't know what God is doing all the time. You don't know what God is doing most of the time. His footsteps are moving right now in ways we can't see or cannot be aware of. God is moving in the fourth dimension, the spirit world, in ways that we are, cannot comprehend, we are not cognizant of. God is moving on your behalf and my behalf. He is setting up things that you don't know anything about. He's preparing a way that you're not yet aware of. He's making a banqueting table for you in the very presence of your enemies in ways and places you don't even know about yet. Can you say with me, God is sovereign? Say with me, he's boss man. He's boss, man. 
That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. Your own understanding is so limited, so finite, so incapable of realizing everything that God is doing. Your understanding goes about this far and falls to the ground. That's why you've got to trust his heart when you don't understand his hand. My wife's favorite saying, I stole that from her. And I got to tell you, I steal every week from Peter, James, John, and Jude. (laughs) Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. God is sovereign. Now, another thing about God's silence is that God's silence gets our attention. When we are too distracted with other things and we haven't been paying enough attention to God, and if you think as his child, God doesn't see it when you don't pay enough attention to him and you're not seeking him, he knows how to get your and my attention. How does he do it? Sometimes he goes silent. And it's the pain of that silence that stirs up in us that longing that will hopefully push us toward doing something about it, the silence of God. I got to thinking, last year, my little mother... And she knows this about me. I get real involved in stuff, and I don't call. And she got to calling me for a while there saying, Hi, it's your mother. And she'd leave these messages. And you know my sweet little mother, she's a praying woman now. And and I'd come in and, and hit the recorder and, Hi, Jeffrey. Well, this is your mother. I'm here. Still living in Dallas. And so I got to thinking, oh, you know, I'll call my mother. And I had the best of intentions, but when I get busy with things, it's so easy. And it's a weakness of mine. It is. And one day I was driving down the road, and it occurred to me, I haven't heard from her in weeks. Uh-oh, my mother's gone silent. She's gone silent on me. And I realized that was affecting me more than her calls. She went silent on me. So finally I went home and thought, I better call her since she's been silent. I call her, Mother, Jeffrey. It's me, Mom. What's going on? Well, I was wondering if you were ever going to call. And I knew right then she knew how to play me. I just won't call him. I'll let the silence work. And see, that's that's what God does. When we get so busy with things, pulled here, pulled there, doing this, doing that, taking care of this, ministering to that. We get so busy with the work of the Lord, we forget the Lord of the work. And God will say, okay. And he goes silent on us. And finally, we call, phone home. Christian, phone home. And we phone home. And God says, I've been waiting to hear from you. My silence worked, didn't it? Silence. Now, another reason that God goes silent, and this is really, really important, Sometimes God is silent because we need to obey what he's already told us to do. Now, I'm going to say that again. Sometimes God goes silent because we need to obey what he's already told us to do. God won't have anything new to say to us because he's waiting for us to go back and obey what he's already told us to do. If God is silent, have you done all he's told you to do? Is there something you haven't done he's told you to do? Because he's not going to carry you on with a new word, a new vision, a new calling if you don't do what he's called you to do back there. There's another reason God's voice goes silent. It's possible that you've already got the answer. God has done this with me, and I think it's happened with you too. 
Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The scriptural context seems to intimate that God was silent towards his son in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it be possible, Lord, that this cup can pass from me, but all the while he knew it couldn't because that's why he'd come. He had come to die. This was his hour. So to ask God for a new word, a fresh word, or a way out, God had nothing to say. He already knew the answer. There have been times in my life where I prayed about something, and I already knew the answer. And God knew that I knew the answer. And he's just waiting for me to say, you already know the answer to that. You know my word. You know the answer. So I don't have anything to say to you. I'm silent. Anybody hearing me today? See, what you're really looking for when you pray that way is you're looking for God to tell you something new and let you out of something that you need to do, you need to take care of. But you already know the answer. You know the answer. You have an anointing inside of you, John said, that teaches you all things. You know a lot of the will of God for your life already. And then another reason, and the last reason, that God goes silent is he's got a plan that if he told it all to you, you could not handle it. Now, here's where I want to really home in before I finish this word out. Listen to this. Jesus knew Lazarus is going to die. But can you imagine Jesus going to Mary and Martha and saying, here's my will. My will is that he dies. Well, they would have had a prayer meeting there, wouldn't they? Have you lost your mind? What do you mean you're going to let him die? You're the healer. Don't talk to me that way. Get my brother up from that sick bed right now. So sometimes Jesus withholds information from us because he's got a plan that is higher, a plan that is greater, a plan that is deeper, a plan that is wider. There's one point in the Bible where Jesus said, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. If he told you everything he was going to do with your life, every place he was going to take you, what he's really working out in the grand scheme of things that you fit into, it would blow your mind. You would go into a catatonic stupor. You would not be able to handle what God is going to do. That's why it says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So he withholds. Here they were, way down there in Bethany, and here was Jesus way in another town. They don't know what he has said, that this death, this sickness was, was not to death, but to the glory of God. They couldn't have understood it, wouldn't have understood it. So his silence was saying, trust me. You don't understand it all. You don't need to. You couldn't handle it even if I told you. So trust me. And so that's exactly what they did. They were mad. When he walked up, Mary got in his face and said, if you'd been here, he would not have died. He said, didn't I tell you if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? 
Now you roll away the stone. I've had a plan you knew nothing about. There's something higher going on here, deeper going on here. There is something more profound that is going to take place. You would never have been able to conceptualize, never able to imagine. But I am sovereign. I work all things out after the counsel of my own will. Your brother is going to get up. Oh, I know he's going to get up on the resurrection day. I said he's going to get up now. Oh, he would have gotten up if you'd have been here earlier. He said, I'm telling you he's gonna get up now you're staring at the resurrection and the life i'm about to show you a profound mind-blowing devil stomping miracle and though you didn't fully understand my silence here it comes lazarus come out And from way down there was a rustling, and up from that deep tomb came a man who had been dead. Four days, rigor mortis had already set in and decay. And a far greater miracle took place than somebody sick being healed. His silence said, trust me, I've got a bigger plan. So sometimes when you're saying, Lord, what is all of this? I don't understand. Why aren't you talking to me? I can hear him. Trust me. I'm working in ways you can't get a hold of. You couldn't wrap your mind around. Trust me. Hang on. It's coming. Amen? Can you stand with me today? Well, we talked about a lot. Let me recap it quickly. When God is silent, sin can be the cause of God's silence. We can drown out His voice. We cannot be tuned to His frequency. God's silence can remind us that He's sovereign. You may already know the answer. And God's silence is actually an indication that He's got a bigger plan. Father, we thank you that we can trust you. We don't understand it all. We don't have to. We can trust you. If the silence of God has been on your life lately, I want you to take a minute and pray and say, Lord, which of those causes is bringing the silence? Seek the Lord in that silence. Don't stop praying because he's silent. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Even when he's silent. And obtain mercy and find grace to help you in the hour of need. One day the silence will break. He's still there. Let's sing, Steve, and you pray as we worship before we leave today. Thank you, Lord. God.